Hello and welcome to this talk from Hersham Baptist Church. My name is Phil, I'm the pastor of the church here. It's great to have you with us. We're going to study the Bible together and we're aiming to be people who are courageous in mission, who are Bible saturated, who are spirit dependent, depending on God, and who love others. And we're at the start of a series of reflections, thinking about the people and the community that God wants us to be using the book of 2 Corinthians that we find in the Bible. And last week we saw that God wants to comfort us when we suffer and use us to comfort others. It's becoming a new community of those who've suffered and learned to draw on God and who can then comfort one another and strengthen one another. This week we're thinking about the importance for that community and for us as individuals of integrity and compassion. Before we dig into what St Paul had to say about this issue, Here's a lunchtime summary, a summary of today's talk that you can ponder and think about, that you can tell others if they're wanting to know what it is that you've been learning. God speaks and acts with integrity and love. And he wants us to do the same. God speaks and acts with integrity and love. And he wants us to do the same. God speaks and acts with integrity and love. And he wants us to do the same. Trust is a precious but an increasingly rare thing. Particularly in this season, Reuters, the news network, did a survey last year in which they tried to find out people's levels of trust in various institutions. And what they found was that trust generally was declining. Trust in politicians and in government was declining. Trust in media and in sceptical voices was declining. There was precious little trust to go around. Now, this doesn't just extend to the traditional bogeymen of politicians, journalists or my own tribe of lawyers. It uh, is a function of the way that we're living at the moment, the way that might be necessary at the moment, but is nevertheless having an impact on the way we can trust one another. A 2013 study on the effect of wearing face coverings for interpersonal relationships found that when face coverings were worn, when someone couldn't see someone else's face, it was measurably more difficult for people to trust them. It was measurably more difficult. Significantly reduces our ability to interact, to trust one another, to have relationships. Now, I think we all know that. If you can't see what someone's thinking, what someone's saying, how do you, how do you read their face? How do you know whether they're sincere or joking? And it's a really hard thing for our society. The recent American elections, I think, uh, illustrated this problem acutely. Whatever the rights and wrongs of that particular political process, it was evident, I think, to any observer that levels of trust in that society and in ours over recent elections are almost record lows. We simply do not trust one another. And yet in this season of all seasons, it is vital that as followers of Jesus, we are people who are known for being worthy of others' trust and for acting for their good. It's vital in this of all seasons, particularly at this moment, that we as followers of Jesus are known for being worthy of others' trust and for acting for their good. This isn't a new issue. It's something Paul had to address directly when he was writing to the church he'd started in the ancient city of Corinth. I'm going to read uh, the next part of his letter to them, which is reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 12 to 22. Why don't you read along with me at home? 
Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you with integrity and godly sincerity. That means holiness or purity, wholeness of motive. We've done so not relying on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. For we do not write to you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you will, you have come to understand us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because of this, I, Paul, was confident of this. I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to let you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes and no, no. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you able to stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So what's going on here? Well, Paul had previously visited the church in Corinth to deal with serious problems in the church. If you want to get a feel for the level of problems that they were having as a community, uh, you can read through 1 Corinthians. They extend from uh, inappropriate relationships, incestuous relationships in families, all the way through to lawsuits in the church, people getting drunk and excluding each other from communion, all sorts. The visit had been painful for everyone involved, as you can imagine. Paul had said that he would come back to them. However, he didn't encounter serious difficulties in the visit that he's talking about. In between the two visits he's talking about, he runs into riots and mobs trying to kill him. He decides that he's going to write to the church in Corinth. He can't go back to them exactly that moment. Now, some of the people in Corinth were unhappy about this. Probably because Paul's letter had not been kind to them. They had been severely criticised in the way they were treating others. They then said he hadn't come in purpose, per person because he was unreliable and disingenuous. In other words, he never intended to come. He said yes when he meant no. And that he'd written to them for selfish motives. He'd written from bad motivation. Paul vehemently denied this. He'd always been honest and done what he thought was best for them. He'd acted from love, from sincerity and godly purity. It's a bit like a football coach, the dynamic here. A football coach who was planning to substitute on a demanding young player. He'd set out his plans to send him on at a certain point in the game. I'll bring you on at 60 minutes. But then the game had turned out so differently from what anyone was expecting that when the time came, it wouldn't have been good for that player or for the team to bring him on. Now we can imagine how upset and cross that player would have been. You never meant to bring me on. You're a liar. But a good coach would take him to one side and explain that he'd always tried to act for his purpose, for, his, for the kid's benefit and for the benefit of the team. He had to change his plans because of the state of the game. He did what was best for them. He acted from a genuine desire for the player and the team and at all times with honesty. 
So that's what's happening on the surface of this letter. Paul is dealing with this accusation that he's someone who doesn't show honesty or integrity or love in the way that he deals with people. But as he explains this particular thing that's going on, as he answers their accusation, Paul takes the opportunity to teach about the sort of people that God wants them to be, the sort of community that God wants them to be and wants us to be. We're to be people of integrity. That is, people who are honest from, with one another. And people who act from good motives. That is, people who act with love for one another. Now, both of these, integrity and love, are important. We need to be trustworthy. People who can be relied upon. Jesus and his brother James were very big on this. I'm just going to read you one uh, illustration of this from Matthew 5 and verse 37, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He forbids them to swear oaths. And it's interesting why he does that. He says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. What Jesus is saying is that when you say yes, you should mean yes. When you say no, you should mean no. It shouldn't be that sometimes you say yes when you really mean no. That way we can trust one another. Without that honesty, there can be no true relationship between people, no true community. But it's possible to be honest and yet still to be cruel and selfish. We all know the image of the person who likes him telling it like it is. I always tell it like it is. I don't sugarcoat it. But very often they do so from a position where they have not considered others or deliberately to wound or to get ahead themselves. They're honest, but they're not loving. God wants us to be those who are both honest and loving, who tell the truth, and who do it from a place that genuinely seeks the good of other people. Honesty, integrity, and love. Now, why should we want to be like this? Well, Paul gives an answer. It's not simply a value abstracted from nowhere. Aside from its practical benefits... Christians are to be people of love and integrity because that is what God is like. That's what Paul is saying in verses 18 to 23. It's a theme that runs throughout the Bible. God is faithful. He doesn't say yes when what he means is no. For example, Deuteronomy 32 verses 3 to 4 says this. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I praise the greatness of our God. He's the rock. His ways are perfect And all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. A faithful God. That's what Paul's saying here. Supreme it's demonstrated in the coming of Jesus. Again and again throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, we find from the very beginning of the Bible onwards, God promising his rescuer, his teacher, his empowerer, his deliverer. And Paul is saying all of these promises became yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus fulfills what God had promised us. Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of God's faithfulness, his greatest yes to humanity. The fulfilment of his promises. God speaks and acts with integrity and love and God wants us to do the same. But how? Now that's the million dollar question. How? 
Well, Paul says the power comes from God. God has begun to make us like this already by giving us his spirit. That's what he means in verses 21 to 22 when he says, uh, reading from 2 Corinthians 1. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. It's God who makes us. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. As we intentionally walk with the spirit, walk with God by reading the scriptures, by praying and meditating, by listening to the prompting of our consciences and by seeking out ways to show love and kindness, God makes us more like Jesus. That's what's to come. We're to be glorified like him. And God has already begun that work in us now. To use a medical analogy, God is already giving us the medicine that will one day make us whole. To cure our selfishness and sin. We receive its benefit by listening to his spirit and walking with him. So how should we put this into practice? Let's close by thinking about what this means when the rubber hits the road. Here are some suggestions. First, we can be people who try to only say what we mean and who mean what we say. Now, that doesn't mean that we can always uh, do everything we've said. If something happens then uh, and it's impossible uh, to fulfil what we've said, then we have to do something different. But we can be people who try to say what we mean and to mean what we say. It means avoiding traps, like habitually exaggerating things or distorting them. In a prosaic way, it means trying not to promise more than we can deliver. We want to be people whose words can be relied upon. Second, it also means asking why we're saying or doing the things we're doing. It's possible to do the right things, but for the wrong reasons. Are we saying what we're saying or doing what we're doing because we genuinely want the good of others? Or is it for some other reason? If we genuinely want the good of others, if we're genuinely doing it from love, then actually we can say things that people find uncomfortable. You know, I need my wife to call me out when I am eating five or six mince pies in an evening. Because she knows that I'm going to regret it and that it's not good for me. And I know she's got my interests at heart. She's not trying to be cruel. She's trying to be kind. I don't like it at the time. I might grumble about it. But in the end, I'll put the mini mince pie back. And I will try and get on with the evening because I know the person has spoken to me truth in love. Regularly taking a moment to reflect back on how we've lived in any particular situation can be enormously powerful in helping us to live better in future. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we saying what we're saying? So first, only saying what we mean and meaning what we say. Second, always asking ourselves why we're doing that. And third, not assuming the worst of people. We should give people the benefit of the doubt. We should err on the side of trusting one another, not of doubting and undermining one another. Trust breeds trustworthiness, actually. Trustworthiness is is something that's earned over time by showing that you can be trusted, but it's also encouraged by trusting people. The more you entrust someone with something, the more you think best of them, the easier it is for them to live up to that expectation. The more we think the worst of each other, we speak the worst of each other, the easier it is to live down to that expectation. Finally, it means looking to God to provide what we need. Why not get to know his promises in scripture? Record when he answers prayer. Give thanks for what you've received. 
Look to him to provide for the future. God speaks and he acts with integrity and love. And he wants us to do the same. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that this would be true of us. That by your spirit would be a people of integrity and love. Saying and doing the right things and for the right reasons. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stay with us for communion.